Are you guys ready? Jesus is going to talk to us today through this donkey, because that's how he does it. We're all he's got to work with. I remember one time my senior associate pastor prayed this prayer. I used to kneel down next to him at 6 a.m. every morning, and we would pray. And he said, Lord, why do you use these men? Talking about some of the leading men in the kingdom of God at that time who had fallen and just were not the best examples. And, and uh, my pastor was just, senior associate pastor, was just distraught. Why do you use these men? And the Lord answered back, they're all I've got. We're all he's got. So let's give them our best. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Let's get into the word. Jesus, thank you so much that you called us by name and that you call us your own. You call us your sheep. And we pray today you draw us closer to you. Because that is why we are here. And we can't wait to see you face to face. In the meantime, fill us with your spirit. Speak to us. Lead us, our shepherd. Lead us through the valleys of the shadow of death into banquet tables prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. Anoint our head with oil. Cause our cup to run over. And may goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives as we dwell in your presence. On our way to heaven. And everybody shouted, Amen! All right, so we're not there yet, so let's dig into the Word of God and let's get some more courage and encouragement for today. We're in John chapter 12. We're in the book of John. For those of you that are following online, for those of you that are just joining us, we're in the book of John. So I encourage you to read the book so that you can uh, get to know Jesus better along with the rest of us. So today, The primary theme of today's message in John chapter 12 is, are you Jesus' friend? Now, he's proven to us that he's our friend. But are you and I his friend? That's the question. How many of you have ever been in a relationship where you're always the one initiating, you're always the one calling, you're always the one that's putting yourself out there with not, not too much reciprocation unless they have an immediate need or something. All of a sudden you hear from them. Raise your hands if you've ever been in a relationship with like that. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to our walk with God. As Mark says, you know, sometimes we just marry him for his money. But you see, I believe the best definition of Christianity is friendship. Friendship with God and friendship with one another. And our assignment in life is to walk close with our friend and try to draw those who have not met him yet into friendship with him for eternity. Can I hear an amen on that? And so I I like to always challenge myself whether I am truly being the kind of friend of Jesus that he is to me. And that's going to be our challenge today. Some of you need to walk closer with him and really strike up a friendship with Jesus, even though you've already called him Lord and Savior. I like what Mark said last week. He can't help but call Jesus his friend because of the way Jesus has proven his friendship to Mark. And I know few people that are a friend to Jesus like Mark is. Some of you have never come to Christ yet, and he's calling you not to religion, but into an eternal friendship with him. So, at the close of John chapter 11, I want us to read that last verse because it's brutal. You get these these religionists, these professional religious leaders who are all about power and control. And Jesus has these people just flocking after him and they are just seething about it because they're losing their grip on humanity. And in verse 57, we close chapter 11 with this verse. Now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. And then we open in chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover... Now, I'm going to stop there for a second to set this up. Up to this point, we have seen Jesus' public ministry. Now it's about to shift. This is the last chapter, John chapter 12, of Jesus' public ministry. The rest of the book of John, all the way through chapter 21, is his ministry, his private ministry to his close friends. And his crucifixion 
in his resurrection. So the shift is really cool starting next week in John chapter 13, which Mark will teach. But today we're looking at his public ministry still, and now there is a price on his head. If anyone knows where Jesus is, you must tell us so we can seize him. Now, this is very serious. Now, I've I've said this a few times, but it's hard for us in our context to understand the gravity of this. But they live in small towns, and there's only one temple. And Jerusalem is the headquarters where the chief priests and scribes live. And if you know where Jesus is, and you don't say it, or you harbor him, you are in serious trouble. So, with that intensity and that reality, we open up chapter 12. What does Jesus do? I love this. A week before Jesus is crucified, he comes to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, where Lazarus, who Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been who had been dead. I just love the way this, it's just so simple. It's hard for me to read. It's just too simple. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead. I just love that phrase. Who had been dead, who he had raised from the dead. I love that. Bethany has a reputation now. Bethany's not just Bethany. Bethany is the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. You know, every many cities have claims to fame. Some are notorious, some are celebratory. I want the Gathering Place Church, and I want your life to be known for the great things that God has done. When people think of you, I want them to think of your testimony. When people think of the Gathering Place Church, I want them to think of, man, that's the place where God's presence dwells, where things happen. There in their home, they made a supper. I love it. Remember verse 57? If anybody knows where he is, you better tell us so we can seize him. What does Mary and Martha and Lazarus do? They invite him over and make him dinner. What does Lazarus care? He's he's walked among the dead. He's like, you guys don't intimidate me at all. You're just mere mortal men who are part of some temporary religion that you think you have power. And I've been to Sheol. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love it. And Mary and Martha. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them who sat at the table with him. I can't overemphasize The decision that they had made. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? That you are going to be Jesus' friend when it's extremely unpopular. At the place where you work, where you're a fool for being a Christian. I mean, it's moved from being a fool now to being a hater and a bigot and a judgmental person, which isn't true. But that is the reputation that Christians have. And it's increasing. When you're at work, when you're at school, among your family members, your friends, and being a Christian is unpopular and silly and stupid and foolish, are you going to stand with Jesus or are you going to hide and cloak your belief system? This is the the defining moment of whether you are truly a friend back to him. It can get intimidating, can't it? Of course, in, the, in, in other parts of the world right now, it's worse than just losing your friends or reputation and being looked at silly. You actually are tortured and persecuted and even murdered. And they're dying every day for Jesus. For you and I, it's our reputation. You lose a friend here and there. People think things about you that aren't true just because you're a lover of Jesus. Personally, I don't know what this will come across like to you. I love it. I just love it. You know, the apostles said when they got 
smacked in the mouth, beaten and persecuted, and they were bleeding. It says they rejoiced that they count that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for his name. They were glad that their walk was so bright and so uncompromising that it that 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 they got a smack in the mouth for it. <laughs> Amen. No. I love identifying with him. I don't, be, I don't want to be obnoxious about it, but when push comes to shove, yeah, Jesus is my friend, and I'm in love with him. I am unashamed of him. He died on that cross for me publicly. I will live for him publicly. And that's just the way it is. And I hope this is true for you. And let me tell you this. This cannot be accomplished through religious zeal. Peter tried that. When Jesus says, you're going to betray me, Peter. When the pressure's on, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, no, I'll even die for you. Well, of course, we know that when Jesus was in his darkest hour, Peter cussed and said, I don't even know him. But I love the mercy of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and Peter thought that he had blown it so bad, he had caved in front of people in public because the pressure was so strong, he figured that it was over for him. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he told the women and the angels that came to him, he said to them, go tell the disciples I'm coming, dot, 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 and Peter. But it wasn't like, because I'm going to smack him in the mouth, because that's not what he was saying. He knew that Peter felt like he had blown it so bad that he could never be close to Jesus again. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you think, feel like you have sinned a sin that is so bad or so many times or so grievous that God doesn't even want to look at you. That you're loaded with shame. That the best is that you're on God's B plan. God doesn't have a plan B. He only has a plan A. And when you blow it, he gives you a new plan. And it's still plan A. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We get a brand new start every morning because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Mm. And he finds Peter. And when he finds Peter after after he denied being his friend, when he caved in his friendship, what did Jesus do? Cooked him breakfast. That's a sign of friendship. Jesus is our friend. Period. There's no question mark on the other side of this friendship. And when we fail, it says this, when we're unfaithful, he can't be unfaithful because he can't deny himself. He is faithful. So his faithfulness is eternally permanent. So when we're unfaithful, we come back to him and he fixes our unfaithfulness. And he's faithful, we're faithful again, and it's a brand new start and we get to walk with him all over again. He's just, he's just too good to describe. He's that friend you can smack in the mouth, spit in his face, deny him, and he'll cook you breakfast. Oh, man. Woo! But you can't do this through religious zeal. So how do you endure pressure and persecution? How do you and I remain his friend in this current environment that we find ourselves in as Christians? By staying close to him. See, it's not religious zeal. It's a real relationship. That's what gives you the boldness. You know, when the religious leaders, after Jesus rose from the dead, the religious leaders called Peter and John. They persecuted him. They smacked him in the mouth. Then they went out and kept preaching. So they called him in, and they said, when, they, when Peter, Peter and John preached back at him and said, Look, we, we can't help but preach about our friend Jesus. So sorry. Do what you got to do to us. And it says this, when they saw... The boldness of Peter and John. See, these religious leaders are trying to shut him down and control him and shame him and intimidate him. We're going to cast you out of the temple. We're going to take your jobs from you. We've already beat you. We're going to imprison you. We will kill you. And they were saying, can't help it. We're going to keep preaching. It says when they saw the boldness of these uneducated and untrained blue-collar fishermen. It says they... What a tremendous phrase. They realized that they had been with Jesus, that they had been with Jesus. That's where you get your strength from. 
is hanging out with Jesus. I have found that 15 minutes with Jesus undoes about two days worth of the fear of man. It's really true. When you're in the word and you're in prayer and you're in worship and you you experience his presence by being in fellowship, being in small groups, being among Christians, and then you're out there and you get hit with people that hate you for being a Christian, it's, it's not that powerful anymore because you're hanging with Jesus. His presence is stronger than the presence of people. So Jesus knew where to go. He's a hunted man. Where does he go? He goes to his friend's house. Is Jesus welcome at your house? All the time, no matter what? You might be his friend. See, the real question here is who are we truly going to worship and serve? I love what the Apostle Paul says about this. He got smacked in the mouth a couple times. He says this when people were accusing him of his motives, that he was just a man pleaser. He was doing it for the money. He was preaching for the money, and it was all about him and his ministry. Paul says this, if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't fear God and man at the same time. And he said, and I have the scars to prove it. He could just take off his shirt. He had been whipped and beaten so many times his body was just loaded with actual physical scars because he would not deny his friend Jesus. This is about honoring our friend. The reason I'm preaching so intensely today about this, besides the fact that it's good for us, but that's what, like every gospel, every chapter in this gospel so far has been Who's on Jesus' side and who's trying to kill him? I mean, there's no gray area. And now it's getting even more intense to where chapter 11 closes with, if anybody knows where he is, you better trust because we're going to seize this guy. So it's getting more and more intense. People are having to choose sides. In this chapter, you see the religious leaders are the only ones who dishonor him, though. In this chapter, I can't, we can't read the whole thing. We can't have Golden Voice come up here and read this whole chapter today because it's such a long chapter and there's so many parts. So it's not like one little encapsulated story. Sorry, Mark. So I'm going to give you a, uh, I'm going to give you a quick overview of who honors Jesus in this, throughout this entire chapter. Mary, which we're going to see in a second, honored Jesus by anointing his feet. The common people honor Jesus when they praised him as he rode into Jerusalem. The Greeks honored him by wanting to see him. God the Father honored him by a voice that boomed out from heaven. The Old Testament prophets honored him by foretelling those who would not believe in him. As Jesus is preaching his last public message here, preaching the gospel, come to me for salvation, the Old Testament prophets said, This is the Son of God, and you aren't going to believe him because of your unbelief. So they even honored him from hundreds and thousands of years before. Jesus himself honored himself by saying, I am God in the flesh, and I've come. This is my mission, to come and save you. Then there's some of the religious people, religious leaders, who believed in him, but they dishonored him by being cowards, and they would not let their faith in Christ be known publicly. And the Apostle John actually writes in this chapter why they wouldn't. Here we go. Ready? Look at this passage. Verse in John 12, verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We all love to be liked. We all love to be loved. We all want to be in a group. We all want to be popular. That we were designed for community. It is so hard to be in junior high school or high school or college or At work, in your neighborhood, your family unit. You want to be in. But so often, if you're a Christian, you will be left out. But let me tell you something. Even though you feel alone, you are never, ever, ever alone. Because when you stand alone for Jesus, 
He's standing right there with you. And that's enough for me. Is that enough for you? And you're in really good company. Mary, who anointed his feet. God, a voice coming out of heaven. All the Old Testament prophets. All the apostles that got martyred because they wouldn't deny their friendship. All the people who have been murdered and martyred all the way from then until now. The great host in heaven that Hebrews 11 says is watching you and I right now run our race for Jesus. You're in great company. When you get cast out and you stand alone in your social circles for Jesus. Amen. And when it's all said and done and that curtain curtain drops and you walk through the gates of heaven and you see Jesus face to face, you're going to be so glad that you walked and stood for Christ on the earth. I am living for well done. I want, to, I want him to look right in my eyes. I want to look in those big brown eyes. I think they're probably going to be. I don't know. They're not baby blue and he doesn't speak British. I promise you that. Okay. He was from Jerusalem. Bethany. I'm going to look into those big eyes, man, of love. And he's, I just want him to look at me and say, John. Whew, man. Oh, man. You are. You are. You were in the pressure cooker sometimes. Man, I love the way that you didn't deny me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And that's for eternity. So who's that pipsqueak that works in the cubicle next to you? Seriously. He or she just needs Jesus, that's all. Start praying for him every day. Don't be afraid. Pray. And watch the Holy Spirit just make them miserable. <laughs> Until they come to Christ. I like one of my employees. I remember my secretary one day said to me when I owned a business here in San Diego. She finally came in, shut the door, and she said, I figured something out. This isn't a, this isn't a business. That's a front. This is a mission field. Because everybody that comes in here gets saved. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, my employees, the customers, I get done selling the product, and they get ready to leave the office. I say, oh, before you go. And then I would give them the gospel. I can't help it. The destiny of people's lives are at stake here. And our pathetic reputations aren't worth their souls being lost forever. I remember one of my employees was Jewish, and he finally said to me one day, well, he got saved, and I didn't know it. And I ran into him. At the, he called me one day after he had left. He moved back to Chicago, and he came back to San Diego. He called me and said, John, I'm going to be at the airport uh, getting on a flight. And he said, I've been in San Diego. Well, I need to see you. I went to see him, and he was one of my employees who was Jewish. And uh, we would, I'd share the gospel with him all the time. We'd go back and forth and back and forth. And he finally said to me, I became a Christian. I go to Boston College and I stand out in the commons and I preach Jesus. And I'm a worship leader and a spirit-filled assemblies of God church. And I said, seriously? He goes, yeah. It annoyed me that you knew the Old Testament better than me. <laughs> I remember one time he said to me, we're standing there waiting for some people to come buy our product. And so you were salesmen, so we'd kind of stand there and uh, against the wall and waiting for people to walk by. And what did he say to me? You know, I don't believe in Jesus, and I'm happy. You know, because usually the testimony is, you know, you got a hole in your soul, and, you know, you need Jesus. He just said to me, I, I, I'm happy. I mean, what do you say to that? I couldn't believe what came out of my mouth. It's all relaxed. I said, yeah, you're going to be happy all the way to hell. I was like, oh, my God. Some you win by mercy and some you win by fire. That's what James says. All right, here we go. Maybe that was Jude. That sounds more like Jude. Jesus said, if you honor me in front of men, I will honor you in front of my father. But if you deny me in front of men, I will deny you before my father. I, I, that's, that's a risk I'm not willing to take. Then we get to the anointing. Mark, there's no way I'm going to get past the first eight verses in this chapter. It's just too good. It's just too good. 
Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll see what happens. The anointing, verse 3, this is so powerful. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. We can just read right over this and not catch how profound this moment is. You know, our offerings to Jesus, and I'm talking about me too, our offerings to Jesus what we give to him financially, how we worship him, sing, how we witness, how we serve, the way we sacrifice has literally is a direct connection to how much we love him. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Isn't that just wonderful? Jesus said, where your money is, that's where your heart is. There's a direct connection here. Our heart to our, our wallet, our purse. Direct connection. What we really want. She takes this very costly anointing oil, this perfume, and she breaks it open and pours the whole thing on Jesus' feet. Not on his head, on his feet. It was the equivalent of a year's wage. Think about it. Think about it. How much do you make in one year? Give that as an offering today. That's what this is all about. I'm asking you to give a year's wage. If you really love Jesus... Come on. <laughs> all right. Hey, all right. I heard that. I heard that. Do I hear another one? Do I hear another one? She takes a year's worth of her income that she had on this. I mean, that, 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 that ointment that she had was obviously one of the greatest prizes in her home. And she breaks it open and just pours it on his feet. And then she doesn't get a towel. She uses her own hair to wipe. How many of you have ever been either so overwhelmed by a tragedy or by something so marvelous that literally it wrecks you? Raise your hand. You've ever been wrecked by something in life where all of your majors and minors get redefined. Things that really meant a lot to you. Maybe your reputation. Maybe uh, some items that you own, maybe a person, a, rela- a relationship, whatever. And you go through something and it completely revolutionizes you. And now things that were so important to you really don't even matter anymore. Again, how many of you have ever been through something like that? Okay. That's what happened to her when she met Jesus. I mean, this ointment was a year's worth of her salary, and she met Jesus. She was so in love with him, and she knew what was about to happen to her friend. So she breaks it open prophetically. I don't even think she fully knew what she was doing, because Jesus prophesied a few minutes later, who was rebuking Judas, who only cared about how much that cost, and he says, she's doing this for my burial. And she wipes his feet with her hair. That's worship. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When you see somebody being extravagant for Jesus, don't you shut them down. And I want to encourage you not to criticize them in your mind. Because you do not want to be caught on the wrong side of somebody extravagantly worshiping Jesus who has shown his extravagant love to that person. It's been revealed to them what he did on the cross for them. And they're delivered and they're saved and they're celebrating God like this. And you're sitting there going, well, that's just uncouth. (laughs) You, You do not want to be that person. You do not want to be caught in that chair. Because it could be real. It could be real. Judas is over here. We'll read it. Let's keep reading it. 
But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And John writes boldly just for everybody to read. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> and he had the money box. And he used, he used to take what was put in it. My God, there was no fear of God in any fiber of his being. Wow. And Jesus turns to Judas and says, let her alone, leave her alone. You do not want Jesus to turn to you and say, leave her alone. She kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always. Maybe you don't always have. He didn't say, it didn't mean he didn't care about the poor. But this was a divine moment of consecrating Jesus for what he was about to do for us. I want to keep reading here, and I'm going to cap it with something really, really important that we're going to get that we get out of this. Now, a great many of the Jews who knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You know, there have been outpourings of God's Spirit. Toronto blessing. Mark was a part of that. Mark was a senior pastor of a church up there when there was a called a Toronto blessing, where God poured out His Father heart, His Spirit. And Canada, people from all over the world went up there, and so did criticizers, journalists. They went up there and they would just talk about that this is of the devil, but it was God. And then Brownsville revival, God poured Himself out there. Now God's pouring Himself out at Bethel. Look what it says here. It says, "Now God, now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see." Whom he had raised from the dead. Why are all these people going to these outpourings? I don't know. Maybe because God is breaking into the earth and they want to be a part of it. Yeah, well, they're just the loaves and the fish crowd. How do you know? Do you know every person that's going to these things? And you you can you can analyze their hearts? Judas? I could just see Jesus saying, leave them alone. So they've come to see this man who was raised from the dead. Jesus wasn't upset about that. I would too. That's pretty remarkable. Don't you love it when God breaks into your world? And don't you want people to know about it? You go up there to see somebody raised from the dead, and guess what? You run into Jesus too, so it's all good. Don't criticize divine interventions in the earth. They're going to be messy. There's going to be people that are doing things in the flesh. But that's not your job to discern and judge. Your and my job is to seek God and love Jesus and draw near to him. This is some really good preaching right now. The Bible says, if you try to separate the chaff from the wheat, you're going to kill both. So the day's going to come when the angels of God will separate those who are sincere from those who aren't. But he didn't set you and I up to be the judges. I would rather be caught in a throng of people that have a mixture of motives seeking God than be the person over here going, hmm. Tell you what. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death. Now that's just stupid, gone all the way to stupidville. They want to kill this revival. And that's what those who criticize God breaking into the earth, they, they criticize it and they actually want to discredit it and hopefully kill it. And it's just stupid. You don't want to find yourself fighting against God. If it's not of God, it'll go away. But if it is of God, you don't want to be fighting that. 
And these guys are so baptized and embalmed with and filled with the desire for control and power and prestige and reputation that they're like, we got to stop this guy and this guy that was risen from the dead. That's what's drawn everybody to this revival at Bethany, at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. What are we going to do? Let's kill him. You know, when, when, your, when, when your theology meets reality, it's best to just stop and learn. Right? It's best just to stop and learn. But that's not who they were. That's not where they're at. They, they weren't humble. Their theology was designed to insulate and protect their power center. It wasn't to point people to Jesus. And so, we move on to verse 12. Then the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, you've got to get the picture here. Thousands upon thousands of Jews who come to Jerusalem for what was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And there are so many priests that came to this celebration that it took all 24 um, sections of the priests to serve day and night, 24-7 for eight days. Because there were so many sacrifices being given. What was this commemorative and why did Jesus choose this week? To come down through the city streets on a donkey. It's because the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was a remembrance that all God had delivered Israel from Egypt, from bondage, from sin. And he delivered them out. You guys know, right, that story. How Moses was sent by God to deliver God's people from bondage and from sin and from being slaves. And brought them out. And they lived in the desert. And they lived in tents. And they made tents out of palm leaves. And they would cover these tents. And that's where they lived. And God provided for them supernaturally on their way to the promised land. So they were kind of stuck in the middle. And eventually they went into the promised land. So this is a remembrance. And and hang with me because this will apply to you and I. This is the remembrance. So thousands of Jews come to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And they all lived in tents all throughout Jerusalem. And they lived in tents with palm leaves that were a sign of prosperity, which was a metaphor for how God provided for them while they were in the desert, supernaturally. And so Jesus comes come riding through Jerusalem on a donkey, and they take their palm leaves and they begin to lay them down, crying, Hosanna! And the word Hosanna means save, give us victory. It was a proclamation out of the Old Testament psalm that was a messianic proclamation. When our king comes, it was a shout, of, it was a victory shout after a battle had been won. Now, can you imagine the Pharisees at this point? Could you imagine... Oh, my gosh, they're just, ah, just reminds me of like, you know, Dr. Doofenshmirtz on, uh, on Phineas and Ferb. I don't know if you know that or some, some evil villain. Ah, curses. I mean, you just see like the Wicked Witch of the West just melting down as all these Jews are taking these palm leaves. They knew what it meant. This is the king. And they're coming out of their booths in Jerusalem. I mean. Jesus waits until the greatest celebration of the year. All these thousands of Jews are there. They're all, memor- uh, they're all commemorating how God delivered them from sin, like God has delivered you and I from sin. He's delivered us from bondage. And he's providing for us right now while we're in this desert land waiting for our promised land, which is heaven. And they're crying out, the king, the king, the king. And then he said, they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Josh, why don't you come up here and close with me? 
This phrase means you are king. May your kingdom come, conquer, and continue. This is what they are saying as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Will you say it with me? You are king. May your kingdom come, conquer, and continue. Say it again out loud. You are king. May your kingdom come, conquer, and continue. That's why, that's what we say every time we come together as the people of God. That's why we begin every worship service with worship and praise and with the instruments, with shouts and with clapping and with dancing. We're doing what they did. We're putting down our palm leaves. We're giving our offerings. We're saying, you are king. Your kingdom come, conquer, and continue. That's what we do when we come together. Will you shout that with me again? You are king. Your kingdom come, conquer, and continue. These people's, these Pharisees' love for power and control and prestige did not intimidate the people anymore because they had found a better way. They had met the Savior. They had met Him. They had seen Him. And they were not afraid anymore. And they turned their back on the religious system. They turned their back on anybody who didn't want to go with them. And they followed Jesus because they found love and grace and they weren't going back. They were all in. Now this crowd, of course, turned on them a few days later because they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain them. But then on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus rose from the dead, poured out his spirit, 5,000 Jews, 3,000 Jews get saved in one day and then 5,000 more, 8,000 by the end of the week and the church was birthed. And now there's been millions and millions and millions of us ever since. You are king. Your kingdom come. I pray that every day over my family, every day I get up and I pray, you are king. Your kingdom come in my home. I pray for you every day. Your kingdom come to the gathering place, church. I pray for our city. Your kingdom come and conquer and continue every day. I'm going to pray that until I draw my last breath and see him face to face. How about you? I am all in. Jesus was all in. Look what he says as he closes this chapter, this famous verse he says in chapter same chapter verse 32 and i if i'm lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself your and my lives as believers are to be spent laying down our lives for christ i don't know what that means in your life but you do and you will on a daily basis that's why he says take up your cross daily and follow me it might be a friendship it might be your Reputation, it might be finances, it might be time, it might be your talents, it might be for a fellow believer, it might be for an unbeliever. You might be a missionary, you might be someone like these missionaries that give their life to, for Christ, like actually give their life for Christ. I don't know what it is, but our lives, I mean, what side are you on? Are you on the side of Jesus where you would be willing to lay down your life for Him? It may be as small as an inconvenience. It may be something much larger. But once you draw a line in the sand and you step over and you say, I am Jesus' friend. And if push comes to shove, I'm going to stick with him. Is that you today? If you will do that, if that's you, what will happen is, People will see Jesus lifted up in your life. They will meet him because of you, because of your uncompromised stand, because of your kindness and your compassion, because of your light. One of the things that disturbs me is when our light doesn't shine brightly. When we don't tell the gospel just as it's written. And we water it down so it's not offensive. The reason that bothers me so deeply 
is because we are giving people no hope. You can't, you have no need to be found unless you're first lost. I want you and I to live lives that are so bright, so unashamed of Jesus that people will know who to go to when they're ready. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on, family. When you get to heaven and you look behind you and there are a train of people that are coming into heaven because of you, it will be worth it. And when Jesus puts that crown on your head and says, well done, man, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Let's all stand. Are you Jesus' friend? This is a question. This is the question I want you to live with this week. Am I Jesus' friend? He's your friend. Are you his? There'll be moments that come up throughout this week where you're going to have to make that choice. Am I his friend? Am I going to identify with him? Or am I going to say, I'm not going to speak out. I'm going to tell you, whenever you step, whenever you, whenever you, whenever you prove to be his friend, the Bible says the glory of Christ will rest upon you. He affirms you. In this chapter, when Jesus was standing out there all by himself, and he was about to go be crucified, and he's praying, God, in this chapter says, I'm so grieved. Uh, but, Father, glorify your name. I'm willing to lay down my life and go through this for my friends. I'm willing And this voice from heaven comes out and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. When you are standing alone and you need to sacrifice for Christ and you are grieved and you're under pressure and persecution like Jesus was, God is with you and he will speak to you in that moment just like he did his son. And he'll say, I'm with you. He'll strengthen and empower you to live a faithful life. Will you close your eyes this morning? And will you make an internal inventory this morning about where you are with Jesus? Are you all in? Are you all in? Don't be afraid of Him. He will set you free. Don't be afraid of Him. Don't be afraid of them. Be an evangelist for Jesus. Be a light. Let your light shine. Don't live your life in the gray. It's a wasted life. Just tell him this morning. Say, Jesus, you were all in for me. I'm all in for you. Just tell him. Just tell him. You were all in for me. I'm all in for you. I'll anoint your feet. I'll wash your feet with my hair. I'll give you whatever you want me to give you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll speak with you because you are my Savior, my friend. I'm all in. Now, as you're contemplating that with Jesus, it's you and Jesus. Lord, may your spirit and presence come upon us strongly. I pray in this place, if you've never come to Jesus, he has proven to be your friend. He knows you by name. He's calling you and drawing you. He came here and died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins because you never can. And you will be shut out of heaven because of your sins. But today, if you will just come to him, your father in heaven will wipe out every sin you've ever committed. He'll breathe the spirit into you and you'll become a son or a daughter of God instantaneously and you'll be his forever. If that's you this morning, you've never come to Jesus for salvation, will you raise your hand right where you are? And I'll pray for you. God's going to receive you this morning. Just raise your hand right there and say, I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. I've never called him king, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to invite him in right now. Listen, if you'll crack the door of your heart, Jesus will do the rest. He will prove himself to you. He will prove himself to you. 
If that's you, will you raise your hand high? Just let me see it. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I just want to see your hand raised, and I'm going to have you pray a prayer, receiving Jesus this morning as your king. Anybody here, raise their hand. Okay, for the rest of us. If you've never been water baptized in two weeks, we're going to do it right here on the ground. That's your next step after you give life to Christ. That's one of the ways you show him your friendship. Let's just come to Jesus in these last couple of moments. Think about an area where you've compromised and you know that's not what a friend would do to a friend. Just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, where, where, this is the question. This is the question. We'll close with this. Ask this question. Lord Jesus, where in my life can I be a better friend to you? Ask him that question, and I'm going to get quiet for a moment. Let him speak to you. Ask him, say, Jesus, where in my life can I be a better friend? do there what can I do in that situation that would show that I am your friend okay now how many of you would raise your hand and say the Lord just showed me where I could be a friend to him better and what I can do in that situation would you just raise your hand up okay so do that this week. And I'm telling you, you take one step to him, he takes like a hundred toward you. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a great week.